Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. And I'm Kathleen. We're from LoadingReadyRun.com, where we surprise and delight you with a cornucopia of internet comedy stuff. Podcasts and videos and Twitch streams. and We do funny things. You can check us out online. Anyhow, but today we are here to talk about, not about any of these things, not even something that we do, but something that comes from the brilliant mind of... Donald P. Belisario. Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I. Specifically, Season 1, Episode 17, J. Digger Doyle. Digger's in quotation marks. It's like a nickname. J is a first initial. I have to say, when I saw the name of this episode, I did not assume that J. Digger Doyle would refer to the character that it would. Yeah. It does. It's a lady. Her, yeah. her name is Joy. Joy Digger Doyle. I thought it would be a guy as well. Yeah, Joy Doyle, nickname Digger. She's an archaeologist, or has a degree in archaeology. She's not actively an archaeologist. No. No. This episode is kind of like a, it's like a mini Bond film, really. I know, it's very cool. Yeah. This is, of course, the penultimate episode of the season, so, you know, it, it's got to be good. And it begins, as the caption says, weirdly, specifically, and vaguely at the same time, somewhere in France two days ago. That's not totally a Hawaiian road with some different road signs put up because there are not totally palm trees visible. That is not what the south of France looks like. Yeah. Also, if you want to get real specific about it, this is according to uh, Magnumania, the road features yellow lane markings, and in France they're always wi- uh, white. Well, I've never been to France. Yeah. But just before the fading of the scene, you can see the background. There's three road signs for directions to three cities, uh, 22 kilometers to Marseille, Six kilometers to Aide, to I en Provence or Aix en Provence, and five k to Meragu, Meragué, Maragua. Anyway, neither of us speak French. The point is, it's physically impossible to be those distances from those cities. Yeah, this is in Hawaii. Yeah, it's 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 in Hawaii. But the car is an extremely rare pre nineteen sixty two Rolls Royce Phantom Five or Phantom V. I actually don't know if it's a five or a V. We're not car people. But this one belongs to Robin Masters. Oh. We finally get to see Robin Masters, kind of. Kind of, sort of. You never see his face, but his voice is very notably provided by none other than Orson Welles. Yes. Orson mother effing Welles. I mean, if I started talking about the stuff Orson Welles has done, I'd be here all night. But even if you don't know him, you recognize his voice. I guess he would be best known for things like the original War of the Worlds for Citizen Kane, generally considered one of the best movies of all time. I realize our focus here is on providing interesting trivia. I feel most people know who Orson Welles is, and maybe they even know that Orson Welles did a lot of voiceover work in his later years when he became a, uh, a larger gentleman. Well, interesting trivia then. He was the voice of Unicron in the Transformers movie. Yes, Orson Welles voiced the Transformer the size of a planet. And Robin Masters. For those who may not be directly familiar with Orson Welles, if perhaps you are a little younger, but are familiar with Pinky and the Brain. Um, I feel like if you're too young to know who Orson Welles is, you're too young to have watched Animaniacs, Graham. Well, the point is Maurice LaMarche, who does the voice of Brain, is doing an Orson Welles impression. That's true, yes. What is Orson Welles super well known for? What is the P freak out? Oh, it was a radio commercial he was doing. There's a recording of him having an argument with the director of a commercial that he's reading. He takes issue with certain certain aspects of it but he's doing a thing for frozen peas they made fun of it in the critic Uh, they're full of country goodness and green penis oh that's terrible (laughs) i quit i feel like if you're too young to know who orson welles is you certainly didn't watch any of the critic the first time take a couple peas for the road here what luck 
there's a French fry caught in my beard. That's from the critic version. That's yeah. not actually Orson Welles. It's Graham no. doing an impression of Maurice LaMarche doing Orson Welles. Yeah, no, you're you're going through several degrees of JPEG compression before you get to, to my paltry impersonation. But the point is, he's the voice of Robin Masters. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he shows up a couple other times throughout the run of the series. But yeah, this uh, apparently this, there's also fan speculation that... I was actually going to get into that, but go ahead. Oh, that... that Higgins is secretly Robin Masters. I, this, I was going to tell you about that. I was going to be like, so there's a lot of speculation, especially towards the end of Magnum uh, in the later seasons, that Robin Masters is Higgins mm-hmm. a lot. And there's some weird stuff that's implied that maybe sort of further muddles the mixture. But from at least this episode and the early intentions of the writers, it's clear that Robin Masters is supposed to be Robin Masters and Higgins is not Robin Masters. Yeah. So he's portrayed on screen, though you never see his face. He's portrayed on screen by an actor by the name of Bruce Atkinson. You see, like, the side of his head or his hand. They probably could not have gotten Orson Welles out to Hawaii to shoot this. No, we do have him doing the voice, which is really cool. And we hear a lot of it because apparently Robin Masters dictates his novels. I can't even imagine doing that. That sounds really hard. Yeah, and this becomes very relevant. This is actually the whole plot of the episode. The the MacGuffin of the episode, the thing that everyone is after, is transcripts, again, recorded on cassette tape, transcripts of his upcoming book. Because we're this this scene that happened in France two days ago, they're driving along and there's a there's a woman unconscious in the middle of the road, and Robin says to his driver, Renee, he says, Oh my goodness, we have to stop. There's a woman in the road and Renee goes, Nope, and floors it right past the woman as she jumps up and a couple other dudes jump out of the side of the road with guns and start taking pot shots at the car as he speeds away. And we're like you're like, Goodness me, what the heck is going on? I mean I would have stopped for that. So good job, Renee. Yeah, good. Not trusting human nature, I guess. Super good job. And we'll find out why that happens later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Because next what happens is we cut to Hawaii with a nice shot of the beach, Magnum going for a jog and talking about how jogging is uh, losing favor. It's sort of a fad that's going out of style on the mainland. But here on this island, it's, it's all the rage. So here's the deal with that. Jogging was massively popular in the 70s. And I know this because I am an avid reader of Peanuts. In fact, I have read probably almost every Peanut strip that's ever been published, if not all of them. But I mean, it's hard for me to say that conclusively. Mm-hmm. However, in the 70s, Snoopy takes up jogging because it was a really cool, trendy pastime. Mm. So, and I know that jogging was very cool then, but then started to fall out of favor in sort of the 80s and stuff like that. Because I bet a lot of people took up jogging and then probably a lot of those same people started having problems with their knees mm-hmm. and then probably stopped jogging. Um, I mean, jogging and running is still popular. I don't think even if you are like going for a jog, people say they're going for a run now. Yeah. Even if you're doing it at a jogging pace. Which is probably the best. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to go for a sprint. No. I mean, unless you're Usain Bolt. God, that sounds miserable. I'm just going out for a sprint. Ugh. Ugh. I'm going to stay here and vomit. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you get to see uh, Magnum running up the beach, and he's, you know, looking good and looking handsome, and he catches up to this hot lady who's also running, and then she just books it and takes off. Yeah. He's like, hey, how's it going? She's like, fine. Meow. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, all right. So then he catches up to Rick at the King Kamehameha Club. Well, not catches up. Rick is remaining perfectly motionless. He's sitting at a table having a drink. Well, he's having some juice. But Magnum joins him. And gets a beer. Gets a beer. and Rick's, That's how I like to hydrate after a jog. Rick's like, you're not going to stay in shape drinking beer. And Magnum's like, at least, what? I'm doing exercise. What are you doing? 
And Rick's like, oh, no, no, I got, I got the weight loss plan. Perfect. Fruit juice. It's all about fruit juice. This whatever quack doctor says that you just have to have all these different kinds. Here, look. Here's the juice I'm drinking now. It's got Liszt's comical Pineapple lit- and litany of fruit. Pineapple and guava and boysenberries and blueberries and kumquat and like pluot and cranberries and i mean it sounds pretty good honestly and he magnum takes a sip and he's like whoa you didn't mention the vodka (laughs) to be fair magnum is drinking a different juice than rick is because when it changes the reverse shot when it goes when there's a shot of rick and a shot of magnum and when the shot changes the drink is notably darker i wonder if it's because they just had to get a new drink i guess maybe they're like we need a we need a new drink What'd the old one look like? Oh, probably like this. Okay, good enough. You couldn't go back and check the tape. No, I guess you'd have to develop the film first. Yeah, exactly. That's why you have continuity people doing taking like Polaroids and stuff. Not on the shoot. No. Anyhow, Rick is convinced that he can drink a glass of juice a day for health. Magnum's actually probably closer to health by drinking the beer, but at least exercising. Yeah. Then the girl that he was racing on the beach comes by, and he's like, oh, you totally creamed me in that race. And she's like, I didn't know we were racing. Goodbye. And she goes and messes with her uh, surf ski. And Magnum looks on and says in narration, well, she could beat me at jogging, but I know I could beat her at a surf ski. Of course, going down there just to beat her at surf ski would be childish. Cut to Magnum surf skiing up to her. (laughs) In her surf ski. And he does, in fact, beat her at surf skiing. Yeah. And then she laughs and they actually get along. Then somehow they end up going back out to Magnum's car. Yeah. Well, they joke about their names, of course, because her nickname's Digger. And then she's like, well, blah, blah, you know, archaeology degree, you know, but your name is Magnum. And that's obviously fake. And he's like, no, that one's real. I didn't get to choose that one. You got to choose Digger. And she's like, what what else are people going to call me? It's archaeology. And then a car pulls up and Mm -hmm. they both think it's their car because it's a bright red Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Hers is a slightly different model though. Yes. I don't know the exact, it's, this is actually surprising because usually uh, Magnum Mania gets, on that. gets surprisingly specific about the cars in the show, but I can't actually find any information about this specific Ferrari, but the point is it looks very, very similar, but different. So they decide to go out. Magnum take offers to take her back to his place. She's really interested in Robin Masters and she's a big fan and she's talking all about that and oh I bet you've been to all the parties and I bet you've seen all this. Does, it, does he really have like mirrored bedrooms in his house and Magnum's like I can tell you that my bedroom is you know pretty average. And she's like well can I see it? And he's like my bedroom? And she's like no no Robin's bedroom. Cut to Robin Masters private jet which is a Lockheed Jetstar 2. How do they know this is a Lockheed Jetstar 2? Well, there's only there's only 40 of them built. So it's distinctive is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, super distinctive. Okay. It was mentioned at the end of the scene in France that Robin Masters will now take his recorded manuscripts that these people are after for an unknown reason to one of his estates. And they list off an apartment in Manhattan, a villa in Andros, a chalet in Innsbruck, or the estate in Hawaii. Mm, all of these sound very fancy. Yes. And so they have to figure out where he's going to go. I mean, for the sake of the narrative thread of the episode, it's pretty obvious that he's going to go to Hawaii. Yeah, I can't really... They could have maybe been made it look like he was going to, and then at the end of the episode, everything goes to hell, and it's like, oh, he's actually in Innsbruck. But, I mean, okay, spoilers. He, he gets to Hawaii eventually, but, but we don't know that yet because... The smart marks know that. On the plane, he's giving Rene directions and says, this is where we're going on a map, and he goes, ah... That's very clever. Magnum and Digger arrive at Robin's Nest and they get inside and Magnum's like, Higgins, 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 I want to show Digger Robin's bedroom. 
and Higgins, who's just gotten off the phone with Robin Masters, who's obviously very concerned that there was recently an attempt on his life, is not having any of this. And Magnum is trying to... Magnum's basically trying to get Higgins to do him a solid, which seems like the person on the show least likely to do a solid. I mean, I appreciate that Magnum is still going for it, but why even bother? He's very optimistic. If I was Magnum, it'd be a very different kind of show. Optimism flies out the window when Digger pulls a gun on them. Womp womp. Yep. Turns out she's not who she says she is. She's working for the bad guys. No. Oh, I thought... Nope. She's working for the security company that watches Robin Masters and is coming to his estate in Hawaii to test security. Exactly. And she... It's a double blind. She tried to get in and realized the best way to get in was to get in with Magnum. Mm Mm-hmm. So she picks up the red phone and calls Robin Masters and says, Hi, I'm in your house and I'm here with Higgins and Magnum. They're inconvenienced. And Higgins is... Higgins... He he hides it well, but he is mortified. Higgins is like so angry that he's gone past angry back to calm. It's the most terrifying kind of angry. He explains this to, to Digger. He's like, I can't be furious with Magnum because I'm always furious with Magnum. So I am furious with him now, but I'm not really furious because... You know, that's my secret cap. I'm always angry. My my Higgins resting face is just fury. Yeah. Although he does raise his voice a bit when he says, although I would have every right to be furious with him right now because he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, Magnum, for his part, feels really bad. He's like, wait, this isn't Higgins' fault. Don't get mad at Higgins. This is my fault. He's really upset with Digger for making Higgins look like an idiot in front of Robin. Well, not in front of Robin, on the phone. He's like, this is not his fault. I brought you in here. This is completely my fault. And Higgins is like, no, this is my fault. I allowed everything. And Digger's like, you two figure this out yourself. Yeah, she's very like, no nonsense. Magnum feels really bad, though. He's like, oh, maybe if Zeus and Apollo bit me, I'd feel better. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler, Zeus and Apollo do not bite him. No. But Higgins takes Digger on a tour of the grounds to check it out for security purposes. Because basically what's happening is there's some sensitive stuff in Robin Master's next novel. Mm -hmm. His novels are really, really popular in this world. In the Magnumverse. And if he says, if he publishes a novel that is critical of some sort of corporate practice or political policy or something, then the general public will sour on that thing. Mm -hmm. And someone is trying to protect their corporate interests, basically, because his next novel is going to say something critical of whatever. Some company. And they have a lot of money and a lot of power. And they're trying to stop that from happening. And so they have to get the tapes of this manuscript to Robin Masters' publisher before they kill Robin Masters, I guess. Or they want the tapes, really. Yeah. Though they were firing automatic weapons at his car. I mean, if Robin Masters dies, that probably keeps him from doing this again in the future but what they really want is because like the thing is if he loses these tapes because they're only backed up on tapes they're gone forever yeah so the if i have any criticism of this episode as a whole it's that you have to just accept that a robin's a robin masters book is enough to kill for yeah you, you 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 just have to buy in that a frankly trashy pulp novel would have enough public sway that a company with loose morals would care enough about their bottom line to kill for it. And like I said, this episode's kind of like a Bond film. There have been Bond films with less on the line. That is very true. (laughs) And we say that as coming from a place of love for James Bond. Graham and I both love James Bond movies. Oh, hugely. But some of them are dumb. Yeah. So they barely get into their tour of the grounds before Higgins and Digger notice that Zeus and Apollo freak out start barking their heads off and run off to a corner of the grounds. By the way, the grounds, by the way, Robin Masters owns 200 acres. 
That is bigger than the actual like Robin's Nest estate in Hawaii. Yeah. Well, the way that Higgins describes it is from the mountains to the sea, but the main compound, which is the only part that's actually like secure, is five acres. That's yeah. that's like the main house and the tennis courts and the beachfront. Yeah, that. and she's like, that's it? And he's like, um, yes, right? He's like, like, yeah, this isn't the war. Yeah, but it turns out that Zeus and Apollo are barking at TC. TC's stuck up a tree. Stuck up, he's been chased up a tree by the dogs. And he's pretty annoyed with Higgins. He's like, damn it, Higgins, I'm just trying to come over and see TM and what the hell. Higgins is like, how did you get in? <laughs> the same way we always get in when you won't let us in. We jump over the fence. Higgins says that's impossible. There's supposed to be an alarm, but apparently there's not an alarm. Yeah. Oh, uh, Digger is also annoyed that Zeus and Apollo, not that they have hunted TC down, that they have barked. She says a real guard dog should not bark until they've incapacitated or killed their prey. And TC is like, killed? Magnum takes them to the circuit box for the barbed wire fence that surrounds the compound, which for some reason is just on the fence in the middle of the jungle where you can't really access it. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's basically a kill switch on it. Somebody's put that there. Yeah. Digger criticizes the system and Higgins defends it by saying it was only installed two years ago. And she says, yeah, from 10-year-old technology, this is about as useful as a World War II soldier. She's quite mm. brusque. And well, she, to her credit, she realizes halfway through the sentence, but she doesn't stop saying it. Well, as, what, is, the, what are you going to do? You just got to finish it. You got to ride that out at that point. Yeah. The point being, Higgins is a World War II soldier, in, in case anyone wasn't keeping score of that particular one. Yes. So he bristles somewhat and says, we'll continue our tour later. I'm going to go and feed the lads. Excuse me. And TC is like, um, hey, Higgy baby, I'm going to come with you and help out with that. <laughs> Basically just like, I'm extracting myself from this situation. Hooray. And this gives Magnum an opportunity to basically be like, okay, I get that you want to be good at your job, but do you have to be such a bitch about it? Is basically what he says. Pretty much. And yeah, and he also says to her, this is not Vietnam. This is a rich person's estate. It shouldn't have to be ready for World War III. Higgins has done an amazing job in keeping it up. Considering the yeah. parade of people that is constantly coming through here. Like he's always entertaining Robin's, Robin Master's guests. Yeah. So Digger says she needs Magnum's help. Magnum's like, no. And she's like, well, you don't really have a choice. I mean, since you left the Navy, you've never had more than $200 in your bank account. And he's, he, he's like, wow, excuse you, me? Excuse me? Wow, you really did your research. And she lists off the whole, she says, yep, there's you and your friends and TC and Rick and of course Higgins. And Magnum says, well, we're not really friends, but. Oh, I guess we should mention that she works for StarGuard. Did we say that out loud? No, I, I don't know if we did or not. But okay. yeah, the company she works for StarGuard. StarGuard. Which is a uh, VIP security service, essentially. Yeah, which almost got its own show. Really? Well, she almost got her own show, actually. She's really competent. Jay Digger Doyle uh, almost had a spinoff. This was almost a backdoor pilot? Almost, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It, it ended up not going anywhere. But um, actually, this is a great time. Not that Aaron Gray needed it, because Aaron Gray, who plays Jay Digger Doyle, already known to television as Colonel Wilma Deering in Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Uh, between 79 and 81. So, so right before she did this. Just before this episode. And then followed this up almost immediately with Silver Spoons, uh, where she was Kate Summers. When Silver Spoons ran from 1982 to 1987, she was in 116 episodes of Silver Spoons. What's she done since then? Uh, since then, a bunch of different TV series one-offs, a uh, bunch of sort of not amazing movies, but she's been doing solid work. Uh, she was in five episodes of The Guild, 
actually, the Felicia Day Geek and Sundry series. Really? Yeah, as uh, Madeline Twain. And actually, very recently, she was in an episode of Star Trek Continues, the Star Trek original series fan film. Oh, wow. Yeah, or fan, some, fan series, rather, yeah. We know some people who work on that. Yeah. Small world. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, actually, a Digger Doyle spinoff series could have been really fun, but I can see why it might not have landed at the time. She, like, I feel like I did not actually think she was being such a bee. And it might be that I'm also the kind of bee who gets stuff done and is kind of brisk and is like, this is not good enough. Yeah. Let's be honest here. I am also a perfectionist. She says, I can't help it if I'm a perfectionist. And I was like, right on, sister. <laughs> uh, but I also think perhaps standards of how aggressively women can talk and sort of act and be you know, professional might have changed slightly mm-hmm. in the... 30 years since this aired maybe at the time like now her her coldness is like yeah getting it done but you think in 1981 it would have been like whoa calm down i think so yeah I'm, I'm not i mean i obviously can't speak for that not you know not having been alive at the time yes but I mean, to be perfectly frank uh i was not yet born when this episode aired however i really like i do think that you know sort of standards for what sort of acceptable mm-hmm. levels of women's behavior and work directing have changed yeah well i mean this wasn't even 15 years removed from when the original pilot for star trek the original series it was determined that tv audiences wouldn't buy a female first officer on the enterprise yeah compare her character to some other strong female characters sort of like uh, equivalent levels of power and competence like mm-hmm. Marg Hellenberger's character on CSI. Right. I don't actually see that much of a difference in their behavior. Yeah. And nobody says her character is a bitch. They're like she's a boss. Mm-hmm. Like she is a boss, right? For whatever it matters, Mark Hellenberger actually left CSI a couple seasons ago. Well, I don't watch CSI. No, but. I know. I'm just 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 in case someone's like, "Hey, they got a fact wrong." But for the sake of this episode, She's being a little mean to Higgins. I mean, I'm not saying she's being nice to Higgins. I just don't think she's being a crazy massive bitch. No, but she's not being nice to Higgins. No. But she also wants Magnum to get Rick and TC on board. And Magnum's like, okay, fine. Well, sure. Yeah, fine. because TC is a very experienced pilot and Rick is a weapons expert. Yeah, which she knows because she did all the background research. So now we get to see a scene of Magnum being a massive asshole. <laughs> actually oh yeah magnum is trying to convince tc to help out obviously and he will get paid for this but he wants wants tc to help out and tc's like no because i'll get shot at magnum's like well what else have you got going on and tc says i'm glad you asked because i am doing a seven day helicopter tour for this husband and wife wealthy couple and i get a big one a day Magda was like a hundred bucks. He's like, no, the other big one, a thousand dollars. TC says, I'm getting a thousand dollars a day. And if I find interesting places, I'm getting a bonus. And this way I'm not getting shot at. So no, Magnum, I'm not helping you. Magnum goes, okay. And walks away from the helicopter. Whereupon he sees the big sedan that clearly holds this wealthy couple driving up. And Magnum starts faking stomach cramps. Wanders over to his Ferrari. Sort of leans on it like, oh, oh, no. Oh. And the couple... If you are really sick, you would not lean into your Ferrari. No. And the the wife, is it? She's way younger than the dude getting out of the back seat. Oh, yeah. Like, he looks 70, she looks 20. Yeah, this is like a... It's... Just, it's, it's not mentioned or made a big deal about it. it's just sort of an amusing background character bit she asks magnum what's wrong and he replies well i'm i've never had such a horrible flight in my life i feel ill when i make my report 
he's going to get his pilot's license taken away. It was, you know, it was miserable. She asks, who, who were you flying with? And Magnum says, well, I can't tell you that, obviously, because of regulations. Yeah, and then I'm an term- FAA expe- inspector. Yeah, and then immediately after saying, I can't tell you because of regulations, he spins around and waves at TC, thanks for the flight, and then gets in his car and drives away. And, of course, the couple are like, oh, no, 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 and they get back in their car and drive away as well. And we're like, that's that's a little uncharacteristically mean for Magnum, even though... A little? yeah. Even though he knows that TC will end up getting more money out of this, probably, or at least the same amount of money. Yeah, because TC's still, like, "Are you? Could you pay me seven grand?" And he's like, "No." Well, but Starguard can, and TC's like, "Still no," because I don't want to be shot at. Yeah, I think that's very pragmatic and fair of TC not to want to be shot at. Yeah, yeah. But then his clients drive away, and so we then cut to TC and Rick and Higgins and Magnum getting a briefing from Digger back at Robin's Nest. Yeah, I, I like how he didn't have to convince Rick. Maybe no. Maybe he was just like, do you want to make a couple grand for the weekend? And Rick is like, "Mm, sure. So Digger's plan is basically to just lock Robin's Nest down and make sure to keep it very safe. Because they still don't know which estate he's going to. No one except Robin Masters knows where these tapes are and which of his four estates his private jet is currently flying to. They just all have to be ready. Yeah, the tapes are at an estate, but nobody knows where. I did like she puts Rick on front gate patrol yeah guard duty to which yeah he sort of snidely replies great guard duty and she says okay well we'll provide you with you know x gun or whatever gun and he just sort of says you know what leave the weapons to me and i like the diggers like okay because she she did the research she knows that he's the weapons guy so rick's like hey if you want my help in this let me do my job and she's like that's fair go ahead and of course rick ends up guarding the front gate with the same stupid like uzi or mac 10 or whatever it was the machine pistol that he had in the first episode i'm glad that prop makes a return yeah digger puts higgins in charge of installing new alarm systems what does she have tc do tc is just the pilot he's just on demand in case they need plane stuff and Magnum is also just on demand. He's Digger's helper. Yeah. So the first thing he does is call up Robin and at speak to Robin's assistant and say, could you describe the Starguard person you sent to me? Which is something Magnum's done before to make sure he's not being misled. Because obviously you can't. Last you know. time it didn't work, though. That was in Adelaide. He's like, describe, he called the lawyer's That's weird, assistant. though. I don't, I don't think I would discount that as being a useful tactic. Yeah. But yes, he calls Renee, Robin's assistant, who was the guy driving the car in the first scene. And says, describe the Starguard person. And he says, well, she's, this is her name. She's this tall. Her hair is like this. She looks like this. She has a birthmark of a barbell on the bottom of her right buttock. She's as cold as the iceberg that sank the Titanic. I don't think that's an accurate description at all. No, but in the episode, apparently it is. Because Magnum says, I've seen the birthmark, thanks. And hangs up the phone. And she's like, well, you could have said that you saw it while I was on the surf ski. And he's like, no, no. It was actually when he said that you were as cold as the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. That's when I knew he was talking about you. And I'm like, oh, snap. We then see Higgins in Robin 2 driving away from Robin's Nest and recording to tape a letter of resignation. Because he is so mortified about this whole experience and sort of being, you know, belittled by Digger and just feels like he's doing a terrible job. And I'm like, oh, Higgy, baby, no. He drives up on his way out. He drives up to the gate. Rick asks him for the password, and Higgins says, please, that's not funny. And Rick says, hey, I'm just trying to lighten the mood, to which Higgins responds, why, it would ruin such a wonderful depression. Oh, it's a really good line. <laughs> yeah. 
And then Higgins continues to dictate as he's driving along the highway and sees a car whip out from a corner and run a motorbike off the road. And the woman on the motorbike pitches off into the ditch. Higgins slams on the brakes, runs out and runs over to make sure that the cyclist is okay because the other car just took off. And the woman in the ditch is the same woman that was pretending to be dead on the street in France. Oh no, and she pulls a gun on him. And, you know, it's like, oh, how could he fall for that? It's like, why wouldn't you fall for that? Yeah. Like, any normal person would be like, holy shit, and they would pull over. Yeah. That woman, by the way, character named Lisa, played by Jacqueline Ray. Okay. Formerly, well, Jacqueline Ray before, and then Jacqueline Ray currently. But at the time, Jacqueline Selleck. This was Tom Selleck's wife. Really? Yeah. Oh, neat. Married to Tom Selleck uh, between... Wait, Tom Selleck is married while this is being filmed? No, so many hearts broken, dreams shattered. Well, she w- she was in the credits as Jacqueline Ray. Oh, does she not? Does she is she a part of Tom Selleck's Wikipedia page and not her own? She doesn't have enough acting credits to warrant her own Wikipedia page, apparently. Well, neither do I. So who might cast aspersions? They were married from 1971 to 1982, so they were divorced only about a year after this episode. Oh no! They have a kid together named Kevin. Kevin Selleck. Kevin Selleck. That's not a great name. It's not the best doesn't roll off the tongue if you're interested he married again in 1987 and he and jilly mack are still married to this day oh that's nice so it worked out the second time jacqueline ray has not been in a ton of other stuff uh she was in something called the killings at outpost zeta which i kind of want to see just from the name oh i don't she was in an episode of dallas she was in an episode of the new mike hammer which i've never heard of and she was most recently in an episode of Unfabulous in 2007. After a brief interlude on Robin Master's Jet, where he continues to dictate his novel. Very Orson Wellesian. Yes. It's really flowery language in these books. Oh, yeah. This, they sound terrible. <laughs> Literally, they sound terrible. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got the wonderful, melodious Orson Welles voice doing it. But you're still like, whoa. Who wrote this? Yeah. We cut to Magnum and Digger at Robin's Nest talking to a driver, basically, who says, well, the guy got out at the airport, gave me this letter and his car and paid me to drive it back here. And it's Robin too. And the letter is from Higgins. And they're like, why would he resign? This doesn't, this doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make sense. What did, what did he look like? And the guy says, I don't know, shortish, mustache, dark hair, bit of a paunch, British. And they're like, yeah, I guess that sounds like Higgins. And Rick in the back says, did he tip you? And the driver says, yeah, 20 bucks. And Rick says, that's not Higgins. Which is so funny, but also so very true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as soon as he says that, Magnum's like, well, Rick says, that's not Higgins. And Magnum says, I know. Probably not from the tipping thing. Magnum probably already just knows that it's not, but it's a really good bit. We then see where Higgins is. He is in a some sort of facility, like a some sort of maybe former military, is an industrial building. It looks very much like a compound. Yeah, it's like giving me thoughts of Metal Gear. Metal Gear, and he's being interrogated by Lisa and one of the other members of the the bad group of people they inject him with a truth serum and he tries to stave it off by just telling rambling stories from the war uh but this is not the truth serum he was trained to fight this is much stronger and And so he's just like of course it's newer 
Uh, you <laughs> he, know, that's not adding to his feelings of inadequacy already. Yeah. So he very quickly tells them everything he knows, which is that he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know where the tapes are. The only person who knows where the tapes are is Robin. We do learn a lot of extra Higgins background in this episode. He was a sergeant major with the West Yorkshire Regiment, Prince of Wales' own, an infantry regiment of the British Army which was active from 1685 to 1958. He entered World War II in 1942. At one point, he was captured by Saharan nomads, and unable to bribe him, they tied him down in the desert without a hat, where it was 130 degrees in the shade, and he's been afraid of the sun ever since. Later in 42, he raided a Jerry supply dump with the lads, and not the dogs, with his army lads, and ran into Bedouin women with a dromedary that spat all the time. And on October 8th, 1942, Higgins got supplies to Chinese guerrillas high in the Himalayas with 25 men and a Sherpa guide. Hitting snow at 10,000 feet and burdened by 50-pound packs, they lost the guide in an avalanche at 12,000 feet. I would just like to point out Higgins that has seen some stuff. Higgins has had a long life, and according to some very quick math, assuming that he was 18 when he joined the army in World War II, if this is 1981, he is 56 years old. Or he is at least 56, right? I mean, like I said, this is some quick armchair math. Mm-hmm. But he does manage to overcome the truth serum a little in terms of telling partial truths. Well, it's not really clear if it's if it's him actually overcoming it or if this is just what he truly believes to be the truth because they ask him who is in charge of security at Robin's Nest and he says, the lads, Zeus and Apollo. I don't think he considers Magnum to be in charge of security at all. <laughs> no. Well, they say without him, who's taking care of security and he says Zeus and Apollo. And there's a third man that we haven't seen yet listening the guy with a beard, who talks to the interrogators and says, okay, I know what he means. Keep asking him questions. And then we go back to Robin's Nest where Magnum and Digger are checking Higgins' car. And they find out. Well, first, they have some words where Magnum is mad at her for leading him on and doesn't appreciate that she pretended to be into him and, you know, all of that. And she's like, well, I mean, I wasn't 100% pretending. <laughs> she says it wouldn't have been possible to be that convincing if there wasn't at least something there. I'm not that good of an actor. And Magnum's like, sure you are. And then they go in for a kiss. Magnum says in narration, look, it takes a lot more than one kiss from a pretty lady to, to bring me over. And then so then they go in for a second kiss. And there's no further narration, but it's implied that... He's like, okay. This is the only one where it is like full-on sort of James Bond style. like. Yeah, normally he doesn't make out with anybody or get any girls. Yeah, I mean, he kissed like Adelaide. I guess, but that doesn't actually go anywhere. I blocked that out. But they realize after they're done swapping spit that the tape recorder was still running when Higgins was being captured. They didn't notice that he was recording a tape. But Higgins dictating. But Higgins knew, so he kept basically sort of babbling, and was like, "You'll never get away with this. Where are we going? We're going this way. Oh, interesting. What's Laseronics? Laseronics, (laughs) a great name by the way, is the facility where he's being held. It's not a new exercise program." laseronics just one and two and pew and pew and four and pew i feel like if somebody was shooting me with a laser i'd be very motivated to move yeah no kidding but no it's a facility it's in fact the facility where higgins is being held yes in real life you want to know what that place is because that's yes. a, that, that's a real place the interiors and the exteriors were all shot at this real oh yeah this is this no way location. that they built this set no this is the kanaohi omega transmitter station a facility that was used to transmit low frequency signals for global radio navigation mainly for aircraft 
Magnum says at one time he was stationed at the transmitter station when he was in the Navy. Uh, the Omega stations, of which there are nine around the world, mm. this is one of nine in the world, were permanently terminated in 1997 due to the success of GPS. Uh, the building is still there today, but it's not, not open to the public. But there were nine right, of these. It's mothballed, essentially. Yeah, nine of these in across the whole world were responsible for global radio transmissions to to assist with aircraft travel. Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they got to shoot there then. Yeah. And in the story, in the episode, Magnum says that the facility was sold at auction after they after the Navy moved to different that they used they moved technology. to satellite technology to talk to their submarines instead of radio. Right. So that's basically what happened. Only they're saying it happened in like 1980, whereas it for real happened in 97. So Magnum knows the facility and knows how to get in. And specifically how to get in is down from the antenna anchor on top of the mountain, which is down a ridiculously long set of metal stairs on the side of the mountain with railings, which is nice. But, but still so steep and so dangerous. Down the mountain. That staircase in real life is called the Haiku Valley Ladder, uh, colloquially referred to as the Stairway to Heaven. Oh, can you just walk up there? It used to be open to the public. It is currently closed and is super dangerous because deteriorating condition of the stairs and handrails have made it uh, not a good place for hikers. Oh. It was closed in 97 along with the facility to uh, due to vandalism and the costs associated with maintaining the safety of the trail. Boo. Thousands of hikers had made the arduous journey to the top for a fantastic view of both sides of the island. I mean, yeah, it looks spectacular up It'd there. It'd be an amazing view. So they, there's, there's a bit where they fly up there. TC flies them to the top of the mountain. Magnum and Digger in camo outfits get out and climb their whole way down these stairs to sneak into the back of the facility because all the guards out front wouldn't see them coming. They get inside. They find Higgins, who's totally out of it. They throw a towel over the security cameras. Yeah. Magnum has to carry Higgins because he's too, he's basically drunk on truth serum and is just sort of babbling war stories, which is where a bunch of that information comes from. And he has handcuffs. So they pick the cuffs, then handcuff his arms around Magnum's neck and Magnum carries him out of the facility where Digger sneezes, gets, they get seen on the security cameras and chased out, but they manage to run away and up the mountain and the bad guys stop pursuing them. Because they don't really need Higgins anymore. Yeah, and Magnum carries Higgins the whole effing way back up the mountain. Well, except for the aerial shots where it's clearly two stunt people. And a dummy. Yeah, like this, the lady stunt person has totally different hair than the actress who's playing Digger. And the Higgins dummy legs are too floppy. Flop, 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 flop. Yeah. Uh, although you do get this great shot. It's because it's like, it's narrated over top of this. And so as these people are going up the staircase, you just hear Higgins, blah, 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 blah. And you just hear Magnum yell, Higgins, shut up. And it echoes throughout the mountain. And it's really funny. But then they get Higgins back. Yeah. We then cut to Higgins drinking tea and saying, I'm quite speechless. To which Magnum responds, well, that's a refreshing change. Yeah. Magnum is like kind of like zonked out of the couch, which is fair. Yeah. There's a call from Rick that he's got company at the main gate. So Digger says, Magnum, let's go take care of this. And Magnum says, no, I'm I'm staying right here. Thanks. I'm going to, I just carried this man up a mountain. So I'm going to wait. And Digger says, okay, I'll let you know if I need your help and goes out to the thing. As soon as she's gone, Magnum is up and on the Robin Masters phone to talk to Robin Masters specifically because he thinks there's still something up. Because it's a little too convenient about all of the goodies and the gear and that Lasertronics base. They don't say it right away, but Magnum just asks, hey, does StarGuard also provide security for Lasertronics? Yeah. Just before the viewer can sort of put all this together, Digger comes back in with her boss. <gasps> 
who's the guy with the beard who was in the other scene listening to Higgins being interrogated. Oh, no, beards are bad news, Graham. No. I mean, not your beard. Your oh. beard's very trustworthy. Yes. Got there. But, I mean, in 1980s, beards were worn by no. bad guys. No. So he comes in, is all very cool and polite and reassuring them. And they now know that Robin Masters is coming to Hawaii. The, this is where the tapes are and this is where he's coming. Uh-oh. So they have to be ready. So TC and Higgins are going to meet Robin Masters at the airport with the helicopter and fly him directly to Robin's nest. Rick's going to watch the door. Magnum and Digger will watch the house and they'll make sure that nothing happens until Robin Masters gets in and out with the tapes. Everything's going to be great. And the boss says he'll help. Yeah, because he's there. So why not? Higgins and TC leave. They're going to go get Robin Masters. And Magnum comes up to Rick and he says, all right, Robin Masters is coming here. But there and so there's going to be an attack. And Rick's like, really? From where? Magnum's like, from the inside. And he's like, how do you know? I just know. And he's like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Magnum makes it really clear. Look, just whatever happens, don't leave your post. Rick says, when have I ever left my post? Magnum says, this time specifically. You remember that girl? Exactly. And leaves. And Rick fumbles with his Uzi and is like, well, you leave your post one time. Always remember it. Rick's a little, a little salty. Then Magnum confronts Digger and is just, just sort of says, so hey, um, you know that Stargard protects Lasertronics and Robin Master's novel is going to be really critical of laser stuff stuff what is it exactly i don't know jargon something that would hurt lasertronics corporate bottom line yeah somehow and so basically stargard is on the take yeah from lasertronics to make this whole robin masters problem go away right and digger is surprised and shocked and magnum doesn't believe her and then she makes her case and then magnum does believe her well they kiss and she's like really upset because he's like oh well this convince you and gives her like a i guess a sarcastic kiss and she's just like hmm and she's like genuinely hurt and then at this point i'm like if she was in on it her boss wouldn't have shown up you realize that right magnum yeah because if she was in on it then they could just leave her there yeah She could just deal with it herself. She's very competent. You know this. Yeah. And he says, you know, you sneeze just at the right time to let them know. And she's like, I couldn't help it. That was a mistake. Actually, just a sneeze. As a sufferer of hay fever, I feel feel sympathy for her. Yeah. But Magnum decides to believe her. So he needs her help to make sure that this all goes fine. We see TC land at the airport. Robin Masters in his white suit and Panama hat jumps out of the plane and into TC's helicopter where Higgins in his sort of navy blazer is waiting and they fly off as a surveying crew pulls up out front of the robin master's gate and starts laying down traffic cones and rick's like how convenient and my goodness you know who the two people in the surveying crew are who's that it's like literally the same two people that have been screwing with robin masters the whole time yeah they're the people that were interrogating higgins it's lisa and um lisa's helper i think that character has a name he does not have a name lisa's helper okay david who's the the boss, if you're interested, tells Magnum and Digger to go to the front gate and back Rick up and he'll take care of Robin Masters. Sure he will. Magnum doesn't go to the gate. He goes to the helicopter to help Robin Masters out of the thing. He he helps Higgins out first and tells Higgins to go wait in the guest house. And then he helps Robin Masters out and sends him into the main building and then waits by the helicopter. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rick and these two people are having a firefight. Like not a small amount of bullets are exchanged. Yeah. There's a lot of being shot back and forth. I believe Lisa gets hit. 
Yeah, that's what kind of brings an end to this whole thing. To that thing, particular firefight. Yeah. Not fatally. No. Like, Rick doesn't kill her, but she looks like she gets shot in the arm or something like that and has to retreat to the van. But in the main house, David, the head of Stargard, then holds Robin Masters up at gunpoint while he's letting himself into the safe. You know the safe above the mantle? Behind that... the picture of the queen? Yeah. And he says, I'll take the tapes, Robin Masters or whatever. And then Masters turns around and it's Higgins. The old switcheroo. Higgins is now, they must have changed in the helicopter. Higgins is now wearing the white suit and Panama hat. And Magnum is at the doorway with his gun and tells David to stand down. And then out the window, they, they can see Robin Masters. Dressed in, as Higgins. Dressed as Higgins, running back to the helicopter and taking off. And they get away. Womp womp. And then we cut to the denouement in the guest house. Magnum is there and Digger is there and they're making out and having she's fun. all being like oh i wouldn't have trusted me if i was you and he's like really and she's like yeah he he he, he. and then they like <laughs> they're make, literally making out in front of the fireplace it's really it's, it's it's such a bond film magnum never gets the girl like we have like i think this is like this the first time this whole season that we've seen magnum actually making out with a girl at the end of the episode yeah the stereotypical like i said making out in front of the fireplace and of course higgins comes in to interrupt them and asks magnum how did you know the tapes were in the guest house to which magnum says Robin Masters asked me to look after them last time he was here. Higgins Magnum had them the whole time. And knew that he had them. So he, he knew Robin Masters would be coming there, but he just didn't tell anybody because Magnum was how to keep a secret. Yeah. He didn't even tell Higgins. No. And Higgins says, where, where were they? And Magnum says, they were just in with all my cassettes. Which is like the best place to leave them, right? Because you're going to be looking for some sort of safe or something. And we find out a little bit about Magnum's taste in music. Because Higgins is like, wait, they were just mixed in with Jefferson Starship and Blondie and Sticks? And Magnum says, and Beethoven and Bach and Brahms. Mozart. Mozart. Yeah. I got Blondie, Sticks, and Jefferson Starship. Magnum maybe doesn't have the greatest taste in music. Oh, he likes classical stuff and music that was popular at the time. That's fair. I mean, I'm not expecting him to be like, yeah, dead Kennedys, woo. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's nice? The Ramones. Um, Magnum tries to get higgins to leave he says that he and digger were exchanging investigative techniques and maybe higgins could leave and instead higgins is so gobsmacked by this turn of events that he walks in and sits down and just starts telling more war stories womp womp cock blocked freeze frame end of episode we do hear robin masters right as he was as he's like leaving he's like i knew having magnum on the estate would be good even though higgins told me not to this is a fait accompli for Magnum. He, like, discovered the double cross plot and protected Robin Masters and the tapes. Mm-hmm. So Magnum probably gets to stay there forever now. Pretty much. And I, we're just assuming that Rick and TC and Magnum all get paid out of this. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. assuming so. If not by Stargard, probably by Robin Masters himself. Would they get paid by Stargard now that they've basically shown that Stargard is totally corrupt? Well, at least her bosses, maybe not the whole organization. That's true. If Stargard's not paying them, I'm sure Robin Masters will. Yeah. I, th- I feel that this is a great episode because everybody gets money at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's a great episode because it's fun. It's just a good episode. Like I said, apart from the, you just have to sort of buy into the fact that these cassette tape book manuscripts are that important that a corporation is willing to kill a pulp author. Mm-hmm. Once you buy in with that, it's super fun. This is like the most magnum episode of all Magnum episodes we've watched. Too. That's what This is what I thought the whole show was going to be like. This is like the it kind of thing out, I remember from this show. Yeah, it turns out that's not the case. And it turns out that the, the show is actually much better than I gave it credit for before I'd watched any episodes of it. But I thought they'd all be like this. It's uh, like ridiculous spy stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
but uh, I super enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I give this episode an eight and a half. Nice. It doesn't have the incredible plot twist that some of the other episodes do, but it was really fun and, uh, you know, everybody got to do a thing. Mm-hmm. I really liked that Digger was really competent. They worked together as a team really well. Yeah. I don't know. I like this episode. Yeah. I have nothing more to say about this episode other than it is good and you should watch it. And next time we will be looking at episode 18, the season finale. Holy crap. Beauty knows no pain. Well, I mean, I thought they said no pain, no gain. No, this is different. Beauty knows no pain is different from that somehow in a way that I'm sure will become relevant when we watch the episode. Well, I'm excited about that. Yes. So thank you for listening. Our ability to bring you this podcast is brought to you by you, the sponsors of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. It lets us do this podcast, all of our other podcasts, all of our video series. It's, we hugely appreciate your support. And until next time, Zeus, Apollo, stay quiet until the man is either impotent or killed. She says impotent specifically, rendered impotent. Well, I mean... I know what she means. I guess if you I take know his what penis she, off... No, that's not what she means. I know oh. what she means. But it sounds like a penis thing. Oh. Okay. This week for the sign-off. Uh-huh. I'm realizing that you have also already developed your own sign-off. I thought I'd made that abundantly clear like eight episodes ago. So what we're talking about really is the stinger for the episode. Sure. What do you want to do this week? I don't know. I can make a mouth fart noise. I mean, that's probably not the best thing, but go for it. Well, that was a terrible mouth fart noise and a bad idea. Where are the cats? Uh, licking themselves. They know all about silent but deadly. <laughs>